in prayer. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment to open up our eyes and ears and our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. May, we, may you stir our hearts to listen and respond and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's great to be back with you guys. Uh, it's good to see everybody. Love my Faith Covenant family. Uh, but I'm going to jump right in this morning because I have a lot of things that I want to say to you and communicate to you. Have you ever noticed that saying yes to one thing is always saying no to something else? And, uh, you know, you said yes to coming to worship this morning. So that means you said no to maybe attending a bedside Baptist. Or maybe if your persuasion is pillow Presbyterian. Or maybe your persuasion might is maybe the mattress Methodist. But needless to say, you prioritized coming to worship this morning. And I thank you for that. And the reality is we only have one life, and there's so many options with our time. There's so many things we can do and say yes to. And I think some of you, you're, you're feeling overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed with life. You're scrambling from one thing to the next, it feels like. And your life is full, but it's not fulfilling. You're not thriving in the abundant life that God has designed you for. Some of you, you're, you're retired or you're about to, about to retire, and you have more time than you've ever had. But you're not sure how to best spend your time. And if you aren't intentional, you're going to be spending your time amusing yourself until you finally meet God and your time is up. You see, what I want to communicate to you this morning is that your life is only able to adequately handle one concern. Your life is only able, you can only handle one focus in your life. And the second you start focusing on something else, your focus is split. There's this proverb that goes like this. If you chase two rabbits, you will catch neither. <laughs> Common sense, right? You're chasing two rabbits. You can't catch both. You have to focus on one. And some of you, you're chasing three, four, or five rabbits with your life. My friends, God has made you and designed you to focus on one thing. What is your one thing? Think about your life this morning. Consider your ways. What would you say your one focus is? What is your primary aim? What are you living for? In the book of Haggai, he's all about, he's talking, he's talking to the people and he's urging them to make God's work their first priority in life. And if I could phrase the major message of Haggai in, in terms for us this morning, I, I would say it's this. He is saying to us, live for one thing, the king and his kingdom. Live for one thing, the king and his kingdom. And we've been in the series, Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. We've been going through the Minor Prophets. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the prophet Haggai. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to that book this morning, right now. Some of you may need to open up the table of contents. We haven't turned there in a long time, so if you need to do that, feel free. Uh, but turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. And let me spend a, just a, a second giving you some context, because our, our context has totally changed. The Minor Prophets we've been hearing thus far have all been before Israel was destroyed and exiled to Babylon. See, the prophets, they were warning the people that if they didn't, if they didn't repent of their sin, that, that Babylon would come and destroy them and deport, deport them. And this is exactly what happened in 587 B.C. The Babylonians came, and when they came, they destroyed the temple. They destroyed the, the place where God's presence dwelt and where the people worshipped. And while the Israelites were in exile, another superpower arose called the Persian Empire. And eventually they destroyed the Babylonians. And when the Persian uh, king, Cyrus the Great, came to power, he let the Jews go back to their land in 539 B.C. 
And when the Jews came back to their land, what they did is they initially, they laid the foundation of the temple, they built the altar, and they began worship, but they didn't build anything else in the temple complex. They let it be kind of in shambles and just only had the altar and only had the foundation. They began to lose focus and started doing other things. And many years passed, and they still have not built the temple. It's still standing in ruins. They lost focus on the king and his kingdom. And so what God does is he raises up this prophet named Haggai. And if, if you look in your Bibles, he begins to preach in the second year of King Darius on the first day of the sixth month. And we know from different dating that we, know, we actually know the exact date of this message, believe it or not. It is August 29th, 520 B.C. That is when Haggai is preaching this message to the people. And then verse 2, uh, he says, God is saying, these people are saying, quote, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So they had stopped working on the temple, and they were saying, it's not time yet. It's not time to get to restoring the temple. For some reason, we don't know exactly why, they came up with some type of excuse for not doing God's kingdom work. And the rest of the book of Haggai is a book of encouragement to the people to finish and complete the work of God that he is calling them to do. So it's a message of encouragement that still speaks to us today about how to prioritize God's kingdom work in our lives. It's, it helps us answer, answer the question, how can we live for one thing, the king and his kingdom? And Haggai, actually, he gives four different sermons, very short, and I want to touch on each one briefly this morning. So my four points are the four sermons that Haggai gives to the people. And point number one and sermon number one is this. Put God and his kingdom work first. Put God and his kingdom work first. Verse four, God says to the people, look what he says. You know, the people were saying the time has not yet come. And then God says, well, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? Well, this house, he means the temple, remains a ruin. He's asking, how can, how can your own houses be paneled and completed while, this, while my house is in ruins? And that word paneled there, it represents the finishing touches on the people's homes. They had finished their own homes. They had completed the work. And actually, some scholars think that this word paneling, it, it could mean a luxury item, that they had decked out their houses. They had made sure every finishing touch was laid on their own homes, but they hadn't touched God's house in over a decade. Clearly, they had prioritized their own work over God's. And so God, he's confronting the people's excuses. They said it wasn't time. And aren't we so guilty of doing the same thing? I know I am. We give the same excuse that the people in Haggai's day did. You know, it's, it's not the right time or the right season for me to put God's work first. Maybe I'll be able to serve God a little bit more when, when I have a bit more time on my hands. Maybe I'll be able to serve God first when, when my kids aren't so little. Maybe I'll be able to serve God when my kids aren't so busy in school and activities. Maybe I'll be able to finish, uh, serve God when I finish that project that I've been working on. Or maybe when I make a little more money, maybe when I finally retire, maybe, maybe, maybe. We, all, we say it's not the right time, but the reality is we often find time to do the things that we most carry about and care about and treasure. And furthermore, don't we often even find time to do things that aren't important? The time wasters, guilty as charged. We find time for the things that aren't even important. And most of us, many of us, we spend time on, on things that have no eternal value. People spend lots of time on, on how they look, on what they will eat or drink or what they will wear. 
all things that will eventually pass away. But they spend little time in comparison on kingdom work, on things that will last forever into eternity. And so Haggai, what he is doing, and you look in verse 5, and he repeats this again in verse 7. He says to the people, give careful thought to your ways. This is a recurring theme in the book of Haggai. He says it four times. Give careful thought to your ways. Consider your life. Examine your life. What are you focused on? What are you doing? And then in verse 6, he talks about all the stuff that they were doing. They planted much, but they harvested little. But they, they were eating, but they never had enough. They drink, but they never have their fill. You see, all other pursuits besides the king and his kingdom will ultimately not satisfy us. They will not bring what we are seeking from them because we are made to live for God. Look at verse 10 and 11. Because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains. You see, it's revealed that God is actually behind these pursuits failing. He's the one that's causing it. You see, God is so merciful to us that when we run from him, when we run to any other pursuit, he actually ensures that it won't ultimately satisfy you. Now, he lets you do whatever you want. He gives you free will. You can, you can run from God. You can spend your time however you wish. But God, in his mercy, has created the world in such a way that you will never be fully satisfied pursuing anything else in your life besides God himself. Thank God for that. Because he wants us to run to him. So give careful thought to your ways this morning. What is really satisfying your soul these days? What are you really living for with your time and your money? God calls out to us, find your satisfaction in him. He calls us to live for one thing, the king and his kingdom. And so Haggai, what does he do? He tells the people, you know what, enough is enough. Uh, no more excuses. It's time to rebuild the temple. Go get the timber and build the temple. And what do they do? This is one of the most amazing verses in the whole Minor Prophets. Look at verse 12. It says, The whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord. And if you've been paying attention at all the last nine, ten weeks in the Minor Prophets, you're thinking, this is the first time this has happened. We haven't, we haven't seen the people obey yet. It says, this is the first time in all the prophets that the people obey God. It's amazing. And oh, that we would be like the people in Haggai's day. That what gets written about us in God's book of history says, Oh, Faith Covenant Church, they obeyed the voice of the Lord. Don't you want that to be your legacy when all is said and done? So when we put God first, what happens? What happens to the people? Look at verse 14. It says, He stirs up the hearts of the people. He stirs up... Uh, uh, Zerubbabel, the governor at that time, he stirs up Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, and they came and began to do the work. You see, when we take that step to put God's work first, he's going to help us. He doesn't leave us on our own. He's going to strengthen you. And maybe you're this morning, you're thinking, this sounds overwhelming. My life's already overwhelming enough. How could I possibly focus on God first with everything else I have going on? Well, my friends, God will strengthen you. He will strengthen you, he will hold you, and he will help you. He helps us, he wants us to put him first. And so when we take that step towards him, he helps us by stirring our hearts. And so the people, they begin this work on the house of God, they, they obey God, and they very quickly, they begin to meet some opposition, and they begin to uh, have some discouragement along the way, because Haggai has to come in and preach to them again. 
And the reality is when you put Jesus first, when you put the king first in his kingdom, you will meet opposition. You will meet discouragement in your life. And so we need ongoing encouragement. And so Haggai comes to, to them with a second sermon. And this is his point to us, second point to us this morning. No matter what, don't give up. Simple as that. No matter what, don't give up. Verse three, in verse 3, uh, you can see, I'm not going to read it, but there's, there's some people who actually were, were still alive and they saw the first temple. Uh, that, and they were comparing the new temple that was being built to the old one. And evidently, the one that was currently being built was not, as, was not being built as nice or as extravagantly uh, as the first temple. And what happens is the people begin to grow very discouraged by comparing this new temple to the old one. Joyce Baldwin, in, in her commentary on this passage, she says, Unfavorable comparison between the present and the past undermined all incentive to persevere. That unfavorable comparison. And this was discouraging the people to keep going, to keep doing God's kingdom work. And this is a typical problem that we have in life, isn't it? We let our past discourage our present. Are you trapped by that at all this morning? You know, I used to, many of you know, I used to be a runner in, in, in high school. I did track and cross country. And there was a time, believe it or not, where I actually could run a mile in under five minutes. I was decent. I was okay. And uh, now when I run, it's, 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 it's not even close to that. It's, the times have changed. They, things have happened. But what can happen is in my mind, when I go out for a run these days, I can, I can still feel, I can remember what it was like to be fast. And I think in my mind, I can let my past totally discourage me from what I'm trying to do in the moment. I can say, oh man, I, I've lost it all. I've, I, I haven't kept up with my health. I haven't exercised enough and I feel so slow and so sluggish and it's horrible. Why am I even doing this right now? And the same thing can happen to us in our walk with God. You can compare yourself. You can compare ministries and churches you're a part of. You can compare to the past and it can discourage you from what God's trying to do in your life in the present. And furthermore, when you live in the past, you tend not to see the blessings of the present either. You see, the people in Haggai's day, they were delivered from exile. Something that they thought might have been impossible happened. The impossible became a reality. They came back to their land, but they couldn't even enjoy it because they were so discouraged by comparing it to the past. And the same thing in churches can happen if we're not careful. We can let our past discourage us from our present. Uh, you know, we went through this, this visioning process where we, we interviewed you all and, and talked about one of the questions we asked was, when was this church at its best? And I, I love that question because we could see some of the, the beautiful things, the amazing things that God has done in the life of this church. But one of my fears that I had with that question is that it could lead to letting our past discourage us from our present. Because many of you remember a time in this church when it probably felt more alive to you. You can remember a time in this church when there was more people here. You can remember a time when maybe things were just different and you preferred it that way and now it's not like that anymore. And if you're not careful, you can let the past totally make you miss out on what God is doing right in front of your eyes in the moment. God is doing a new thing. He's always doing a new thing. He's still at work. But we can't let our past discourage us from our present. And so if you're part of our church, you have a, you have a choice. You can either let the past discourage you or you can be an encouragement to what God is doing right now. What will it be? God wants to tell the people, no matter what, no matter the comparison to the past, don't give up on my kingdom work right now. I have a purpose for you. So look at verse 4 and 5 
in chapter 2. He tells, he tells the people several times, be strong. He says, be strong three different times, different people. So be strong, and that means to stay steadfast, to persevere, to keep, to keep going. And then he says, work. Be strong, work. Do the work of the kingdom. Keep doing my kingdom work. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. And that begs the question, how can we keep working if we're feeling discouraged and we face adversity? Well, then God says to the people in this very passage, he says, don't forget, I am with you. I am with you. Do not fear. I am with you. I am in this with you. See, my friends, God is with us. We have nothing to fear. Our part is to be strong and to work. God's part is to take care of the results. We don't have to worry about the results. God, God is at work. And we, our part is to, is to be strong and to keep going in the face of adversity. And, but here's what's amazing. Look at verse 9. God promises the people, the glory of the present house, the temple they're currently building, will be greater than the glory of the former. You see, even though it looks so discouraging at the moment, God was going to make this temple more glorious than the first one. And you may not be able to see it in your life right now. You may not be able to see it in our church yet. But the results of the kingdom work which God is calling to, to do has a glorious future. That God will bring his work to a completion. And in, and in the end, it will be more glorious than you could have ever thought or imagined. The kingdom is like a treasure in a field. That a man saw, he said, that is the most joyous and glorious thing. And I will sell everything I have to go buy the treasure in that field. That's what it's like to live for the king in his kingdom. You have to see the glory of it. And you may not see it right now, but one day it will be. And sometimes God in his mercy lets us see that glory in our lifetime. And the reality is sometimes we just give up way too early. Sometimes we miss out on seeing something great simply because we gave up too soon. You see that over and over again in, in the business world and in, in sports stories and things like that. And if anyone should be knowing, known for having no quit in them, it should be the people of God, amen? If anyone should be known for having no quit in them, it should be God's people because we are working for a kingdom of lasting value. And at this point, you might be wondering, wow, if the one focus of my life is to live for Jesus in his kingdom and to never give up on it, well, what about all my other concerns? What about my job and my family and my work and et cetera, et cetera? Well, here's why we need Haggai's third sermon. Here's how we need his third sermon. He says... Take care of God's concerns, and he will take care of you. Take care of God's concerns first, I might add, and he will take care of you. You see, the people, they had been working on the temple for about three months, and Haggai comes back to them to give them another sermon and encourage them. And I can't get into the whole thing, uh, but part of it, he reminds them that when they were forsaking the temple work, what was going on? He reminds them that their needs weren't met. Uh, verse, verse 16, they went to look for 50 measures of wine, but they only found 20. They had that hole in the bag as, as Aaron so uh, ably demonstrated to us this morning. They, their needs weren't being met. And God, he was trying to show them that not putting him first was actually against their best interest. So my friends, when you don't put God first in your life, this may sound harsh, but don't expect blessing and don't expect provision. When you don't put God in his, wor his work first, don't ex expect the blessings of God on your life. Because in the people, when they respond to the word, God is going to turn things around. Look what he says to them in verse 19. 
Because the people have responded to obey, verse 19, God says, from this day on, I will bless you. And he wants them to notice the difference. When you didn't prioritize me, you didn't have what you need. Well, now you're going to prioritize me. Now watch, watch and see. The crops are going to be good. From this day on, I'm going to bless you. And Jesus, believe it or not, he says almost the exact same thing. In his famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this will be added to you. In the all this is everything we need in life. The cares of life. The food, the provision, the clothing. And we worry, I think, sometimes that if we truly live out the Christian life, that we're going to be shorting something in our life. We're going to be shorting ourselves. But we couldn't be more mistaken. This is the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. He says, if you, want, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you want to lose your life for my sake, you will find it. That's the paradox of the kingdom. And the more we focus on our own needs, actually the, less, uh, the more we're going to feel empty and the more we're going to have need. But the more we put God first, the more we're going to find our needs provided and our souls satisfied. And so I believe the more when we put God's kingdom first, it's actually going to be what's best for you. It's going to be what's best for your family. It's going to be what's best for your marriage. It's going to be what's best for your work. It's going to tie everything together in your life when you put God's kingdom first. And I'm not saying that God provides us with prosperity. That's a heresy in the church. Many people teach that God, God just wants you to have health and wealth and bless you and, and make you rich and take care of you. My friends, that's a false teaching. That's not true. Where was the prosperity gospel for Jesus? He went to the cross. Christians are called to the cross-shaped life. God doesn't promise us prosperity, but he does promise us provision. You catch that? God doesn't promise us prosperity, but he does promise us provision. What a blessing of God. That he, when we put him first, he will make sure that all your needs are taken care of, that you have everything that you need in Christ Jesus. C.S. Lewis said it this way, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. What are you focusing on? What are you putting first? So let me recap a little bit. Haggai's been saying to the people, put God and his kingdom work first, the king and his kingdom, to no matter what, to never give up on it, and to know that when you take care of God's concerns, he's going to take care of you. And there's one more piece of encouragement that people needed. To live for one thing in the king, we must trust that God will establish his kingdom. Point number four. We have to trust that God's going to establish his kingdom. You see, the temple work was just getting restarted. It was a very small beginning. The people were not very numerous. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, you, Nehemiah you'll remember that the wall is torn down. There's no wall at this point. And they're still ruled by a foreign country called Persia. And everything, everything seemed utterly small, comparably not glorious as they hoped. But friends, but God. God was going to turn everything around for them. Look what, how he ends, uh, Haggai ends, the very end of this. In verse, chapter 2, verse 21, he says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. Verse 23, on that, on that day declares the Lord Almighty. I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, declares the Lord. And I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. So what God is saying here is he is promising the people that one day he is going to overthrow all the kingdoms of the world. And that he is going to establish his authority through his servant Zerubbabel. 
And many of you probably don't know who Zerubbabel is, or you maybe have heard of him before, but he was the governor at that time. Uh, and God was saying that he was going to take him like his signet, signet ring, which was the ring that kings would use to stamp letters as a sign of their authority. So he's saying, I'm going to establish my authority through Zerubbabel. Now, the good news of the people of Haggai's day is they respond to God, they build the temple, they complete it in 516 B.C. They do the work of God. Uh, but Zerubbabel, he kind of drops off the map. We don't hear about him again. Well, what happened? What is God saying here? What happened to Zerubbabel? See, sometimes God talks about people as types or examples of somebody else who's to come. You see this with King David. He's talking about David, but he's actually talking about the line of David. His, the new Messianic king, the new Davidic king who was to come. And that is what's going on here with Zerubbabel. And so Zerubbabel, you have to know, is of the line of David. He was the grandson of the last king of Judah, who was the line of David. And so when you get to the Gospels, I want you to see this. It's up on the screen. After the exile to Babylon, that's where we are, right? That's what we're reading about. Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of, and on and on, till we get to the end. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. See, what God is saying here is I'm going to reestablish my authority through the line of David, through my king who is going to come into the world. And what did Jesus say? My kingdom is here. He's establishing his power and authority in the earth, and he's unleashing his kingdom. And then what he says at the end of, of his ministry, all authority has been given to me. Now go make disciples. Go usher in. Go proclaim the kingdom of God to all people. God is fulfilling his promise in Jesus Christ that he gave in 520 B.C. to a prophet named Haggai. How awesome is that? So no matter what happens, we can be certain that God is going to establish his kingdom. Jesus he established it when he came, when he died on the cross, when he rose again, and he's coming back again to reestablish his kingdom and bring all things to completion. So my friends, how does this apply to us today? Because the people at that time, they were rebuilding the physical temple. They were rebuilding the building, right? Now, actually, when you look at the book of Haggai, you'll, you'll see that many churches will only bring this out when they want to do some type of capital campaign. When they, want it, when they want to do some type of fun. This is the only time Haggai gets preached. But, and, and that's great because buildings are a part of what God does. Any church experience that I've had that's been meaningful, almost all of them have taken place in a building. Thank God for that. But it's not a direct comparison. It's not a direct comparison because God's presence does not dwell in the temple anymore. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are now the living temple of God, right? We are the body of Christ. And so I think the best comparison to rebuild the temple in our day is to rebuild the church of Jesus Christ. And I believe that, that that takes place in our everyday lives with the Christians that we are, that we are committed to. And uh, I'm trying to be careful to not sound self-serving in any way since I'm the pastor of this church. But I believe whatever church you're committed to, this is how you rebuild and work for the kingdom because this is what God is doing in the world. Now, God's kingdom work, it is certainly bigger than the local church. God is working outside this building. God is at work all the time. But God's kingdom work is certainly not less than your commitment to the local church. It's certainly not less than that. 
Because that is how God, he's establishing these kingdom outposts all over the world that represent his kingdom to the world. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. Rebuilding his kingdom in the world. And I really believe, my friends, my brothers and sisters, that this is a timely message from God to Faith Covenant Church. I don't know, I didn't know what I was going to be preaching about, you know, when I picked Haggai and all that. But I believe that, in a sense, we are kind of rebuilding here at Faith Covenant. You know, the foundation's been laid. We're not starting over. There's nothing that we're starting over. There's, there's a foundation laid of, of 50 years of wonderful ministry, but we're kind of in a rebuilding phase, if you haven't noticed. I'm still fairly new. We're adding new staff. We have a, mission, a new mission and a vision. We're, we're kind of moving in a new direction. And we need everybody, just like the people in Haggai's day did, to pitch in and to do the work of the kingdom and rebuild this church for the glory of God. That's what we're trying to do and accomplish here. And so we all have to ask this morning, what, what role is God calling you to play in this little mini version of his kingdom on earth? What is he calling you to do? And I believe there's many ways that this gets carried out, but it, it looks very ordinary. You know, when the people went to go rebuild the temple, you know what people were actually doing? Taking one stone and putting it on another. Going out to the forest, chopping down a tree, and inlaying it into the stone so that the temple can be built. Sometimes, most times actually, doing the glorious work of the kingdom is, very, is quite ordinary. And doing the work of the kingdom today means showing up in the nursery in the toddler room. It means serving in ministries. It means serving in boards. It means mentoring our youth in youth ministry. It means coming and serving on worship team. It means doing all that you can to rebuild this place. And I want you to consider your ways this morning. Are you perhaps letting something lack in our church while your own home and life is taken care of and completed? Is there, any, is, there, is there any way that that's possible at all? Are you letting something lack in our church while your own life is put first and taken care of? Would you consider prioritizing the work of the kingdom being played out in this church? Would you consider what role God is calling you to play? Maybe it's a new role. You, many of you have served here for years, but maybe God is birthing a new thing and calling you to do something else or to step up your commitment. I don't know. But maybe God is doing something new. Friends, we have some rebuilding to do. How exciting that is. I'm excited. I'm excited about it. But we have to pray that God stirs up our hearts just like he did to the people in Haggai's day. Would he stir our hearts to rebuild the kingdom? And I believe if we obey, we will see God's blessing poured out and glorious things happen among us by God's power, through his might, by his spirit. Would you pray with me that God would do that this morning? God, I thank you for this word from the prophet Haggai. And I pray, Lord, that you would let your word dwell deeply in our hearts and our minds. God, I pray that we would see the glory and the majesty of who you are, of your kingdom, that we would catch the vision of what you're doing, Lord, in our church and in our community. And God, so that when we do those ordinary tasks, that we wouldn't just say, yeah, I'm, 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 not just, I'm moving a stone, but no, I'm, I'm actually I'm building a temple. That when I'm serving in the nursery, I'm not just doing that, but I'm, I'm building for the kingdom. God, would you give us that vision? Help us to see it. Help us to grasp it in our day. And would you pull away all the concerns that we have in our lives so that we can seek your kingdom first? Give us the grace. Stir our hearts to be for you, to live for you, 
in your kingdom. Forgive us when we go astray, when we pursue other pursuits. And keep bringing us back to making you and your kingdom first place in our lives. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, all God's people said. Amen.